Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Very glad you're with us for the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We've got good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today, although I'm not sure Joe Biden thinks the first one is a good martini. Uh, Before we get started, though, a quick shout out to everyone braving what for Washington are pretty cold temperatures today uh, for the March for Life. I believe this is the 50th or 49th uh, March for Life, and uh, there seems to be uh, an extra pep in the step this year, given what the Supreme Court is currently pondering, Jim, on uh, Texas and, and Mississippi. Uh, January is usually the time where all these folks come together, but there might be some pretty big celebrations coming up in a few months here, too. You know, Greg, in the Olympics, when they do figure skating or other things, they kind of do have degree of difficulty when the judges are assessing them. I think when you choose to hold your annual march in Washington on January 21st, you are selecting a very high degree of difficulty in generating a big turnout. This is generally, I think, you know, I checked my phone earlier today. It was with the wind chill, it felt like seven degrees. I think the actual thermometer said uh, 19 degrees. And every single year, year in, year out, Republican administration, Democratic administration, pro-lifers come out in massive numbers, come down to Washington, march on Washington and demonstrate passion and the dedication to principle that they have to their cause. And it's really striking. I've always kind of felt like if you wanted to make it seem like lots of people supported your cause, you would announce that you're holding your march for your cause on the National Mall on July 4th. <laughs> and then when the huge crowds show up for the fire, we're like, hey, look, look, look at that huge crowd of people who support us. Or at minimum, you'd pick the best weather. Nope. Congratulations to the National Right to Life and various pro-life groups. They picked arguably almost year in, year out, the worst day of the year, and they still bring out people with massive amounts. By the way, also the coverage of it is very rarely what I think it ought to be almost every year. No, that's exactly right. The The media always downplay it. Uh, the uh, abortion decision, of course, came down in January, which is why they do it at this time of year. If they had done their Supreme Court decision in, in June, like most of the big decisions come down, at least now, probably even get a bigger turnout. But uh, uh, absolutely in, in support of the March for Life today. And again, hopefully the Supreme Court uh, gives even better news uh, after a very, very long fight. But of course, the fight will go on regardless of those decisions. But Jim, let's get to our good martini now. And as I said, Biden's not going to like it, but there is obviously a turning of public opinion in this country over the past 12 months. Yesterday was officially the one-year anniversary of Joe Biden's inauguration. He was riding high in public approval at that point. He was riding fairly high all the way till the debacle in Afghanistan. And then he's been heading south ever since. Um, And now Frank Luntz, uh, the pollster, some people like him, some people don't like him. Sometimes it depends on the results that he gets from his polls. But he sat down with a bunch of independents. And the criteria, as you point out in the morning jolt today, is they had to have voted for Obama once and they had to have voted for Trump once. So these aren't, you know, ideological polar partisans here. And by and large, what they got from people from all different demographics, male, female, age, race, um, You know, they're fed up with the schools. They don't like uh, just kind of the chaos we're seeing in our politics right now. And that's redounding to Joe Biden's deficit in the polling. And it could redound, uh, certainly the way the polls are looking right now, to the Republicans' benefit later on this year. Yeah, I was going to say, I urge everybody to listen. Or or, they have have certain video and, and audio segments. Read the transcript. It really, I think, gives you a very vivid look at how a certain segment of Americans are feeling right now. And again, these are not folks who are reflexive right-wingers. 
who were inclined to say Joe Biden is a schmuck and he doesn't know what he's doing, et cetera, et cetera. I think most of these people had some, whether or not they, they voted for him, I think everybody was hoping things would get better with Biden in office. It does not appear to be the case. Fauci comes in for some criticism. Joe Manchin comes in for some praise. Um, so there's a real interesting assessment of the politics of this moment and basically that Biden and the Democrats running Congress have failed about as badly as they possibly can. And then I think just generally, you know, it's almost turned into a cliche in conservative circles to cite Jimmy Carter and Malays, but um, the tone of disappointment, despair, dispiriting sense of, of pessimism and uh, anxiety about the future. I think one of the things that jumped out is that six members out of 14 people uh, said they had lost sleep over the state of the country. It was, it was keeping them up at night. That's how bad things are. That's a really bad sign if you're the incumbent party. Now, I think this also says for the Republicans, there is an opportunity to say, look, if you elect us in 2022, here's what we're going to do differently. And they can point to what Glenn Youngkin is trying to do here in Virginia. They can point to what Republican governors that are in office and who are running for re-election have managed to do. And they can say, this is what we will do in, you know, as in gubernatorial level. This is what we're going to do at the state legislative level. And if you send us to Congress, if you give us control of the House and Senate, we are going to do what we can to pass legislation and put it on Joe Biden's desk. And Joe Biden can either sign it into law and start getting this country in the right direction, or Joe Biden can veto it and you can take it out on him in 2024, assuming he's running in 2024. So I think there's a real opportunity there. And I think that this is, you know, a demonstration that America has tried the Democrats and the Democrats aren't working for them. The question is, you know, are they willing to give the Republicans a chance? So far, it's looking like they will. There is an enormous opportunity here for Republicans if they get their act together and if they can enact reforms quickly and effectively uh, shortly after taking office, assuming the midterms go the way they hope. One thing I'll say in defense of Jimmy Carter, which is not the way I start most sentences in my life, <laughs> is uh, at least Jimmy Carter understood people were uh, not confident and actually his depressing uh, analysis of things probably fed into that. But Joe Biden the other day was like, no, I've outperformed. I've beat expectations. The polls are wrong, man. Everything's awesome. Uh, and so Mrs. Corumbus, who is not a political person. And so I told her that Joe Biden told the press he was outperforming expectations. And she said, what, that he'd be alive a year later? <laughs> I mean, fact check, true. Joe Biden is alive. So it's so good on that one. No, you, you are correct on that. And I think one of the aspects we're witnessing at this moment is this uh, a really stubborn refusal to acknowledge what Joe Biden was saying on the campaign trail in 2020 was simply not realistic. I think, you know, I'm going to shut down the virus is probably the one that has caused the biggest uh, consequences. I, I think, you know, I, I enjoy pointing out things like Joe Biden promised he was going to cure cancer if he was elected president. I think that's the kind of absurd promise that really should get a, a politician pelted with rotten fruit and, and vegetables when they uh, attempt to give a speech. But uh, that's, you know, that's what he said. Um, his insistence that the you know inflation was transitory and not something you need to worry about that it was a regular seasonal pattern on the border. Uh, you know, the campaign trail, Biden sure sounded like he was going to, you know, put Vladimir Putin and, you know, show him what's what. And, you know, Joe Biden, one, he had unrealistic expectations about what he was going to be able to do as president. And two, he deliberately wanted to inflate those expectations. He wanted people to, you know, it wasn't quite the Obama, Obama, obama Saya, you know, quasi-religious aspect to it. But Joe Biden, and particularly Ron Klain, I think, 
wanted people to believe that all Joe Biden had to do is get in there and things were going to get a whole lot better. And lo and behold, the job of governing is a heck of a lot harder than it looks on the campaign trail. So this is reality catching up to Joe Biden. And I think you're seeing it in these focus group conversations and stuff. And just trying to spin people and say, no, I'm doing a great job. You know, it's just, people aren't going to believe Joe Biden over their lying eyes. No, it's true. I don't know if you saw the story in Politico today about Ron Klain, but there's some folks up on the Hill who are not at all happy with how he's doing his job either. And the chief of staff often takes some uh, hits when the poll numbers aren't good for a president. But a House Democratic lawmaker who spoke candidly on the condition of anonymity said the president was elected because we all thought he was going to be good at governing. He was going to govern from the center. He was going to work with Republicans and have a chief of staff that apparently has decided he's going to be Bernie Sanders. I think that's confusing. It's just not helpful. So, uh, We'll see if they uh, retack, but that doesn't seem to be a, a thing this administration does. All right, let's talk about something that uh, doesn't need a lot of changing, and that's the quality of the products you're going to get from my pillow, whether it's the, the pillows themselves or the Giza Dream Sheets or the towels or the mattress topper or my personal favorite, the new My Slippers. I've said many times, I used to just walk around the house uh, in my socks, uh, didn't really like uh, wearing shoes in the house, love the My Slippers, so comfortable, so comfortable, and now they have a great deal going on with our promo code Martini at MyPillow.com, you can get 40% off the new My Slippers. You know, Greg, it was very challenging to write today's morning jolt and write the headline, Are You Losing Sleep About America's Future? And just not immediately lapse into a MyPillow ad, <laughs> I've just been conditioned to do that. Let's talk about the My Slippers. These slippers have spent two years in development to ensure the highest quality and comfort. They're designed to be worn all day, indoors, outdoors, wherever you like. These slippers are available in moccasin or slip-on style. They come in a variety of colors and sizes, and they are made with quality leather suede and the exclusive three-tier cushioning system. The MyPillow patented fill, the impact gel, and the memory foam. And for a limited time, MyPillow is offering 40% off the new My Slippers. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, enter the promo code MARTINI, or call 800-874-0104. Now, while you're there, take advantage of the deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets, the MyPillow mattress topper, and the MyPillow towel sets. But you can only save 40% on the new My Slippers with our promo code MARTINI. So use that code MARTINI when you call 800 800- 8740104 or when you go to mypillow.com. All right, Jim, on to our bad martini now. And the state of the country can certainly be spun as a bad martini, but we've spent a lot of time talking about Andrew Cuomo over the past couple of years and uh his directive through his Department of Health that COVID positive patients, once they uh, were no longer needing direct hospital care, had to be admitted back into nursing homes and other care facilities, even if they were COVID positive. And well, as uh, the state reported, uh, about 15,000 people probably died as a result of that order. Uh, the state undercounted, probably deliberately. They even said at times they they delayed and, and, and fudged the numbers a little bit because they didn't want a federal investigation into what was going on. Well, those sorts of orders didn't just happen in New York. They also happened in New Jersey. Uh, they happened in Pennsylvania. And they also happened in Michigan. And Michigan has just completed an audit on this thing. And it's also not good for Gretchen Whitmer. Detroit News reporting, uh, Michigan's Auditor General is reporting 2,386 more COVID-19 deaths linked to long-term care facilities than previously tallied by the state health department using different tracking methods. The report by the Office of the Auditor General 
uh, examines long-term care facility deaths through July 2nd. It described the difference between the state health department's count and the Auditor General Office's finding as 29.6%. The Auditor General's Office tallied 8,061 COVID-19 deaths tied to long-term care facilities. The state health department, using self-reported numbers from facilities, counted 5,675. So the report's finding is up 42% from the previous total. So, uh, Jim, the Whitmer administration is disputing some of these numbers. Uh, so uh, there's just going to be a big squabble about this. But the bottom line is, is that a number of governors, all of them Democrats uh, in this country, ordered COVID-positive patients back into these facilities where the most vulnerable of our population was living. And guess what happened? You know, Greg, if the, if the state's numbers and the auditor's numbers ended up being within a five to 10%, you know, of each other, I might say, okay, it's maybe they got slightly different measurements for whether it counts, you know, they die of COVID or with COVID, or one is updating the numbers faster than the other, or somebody makes a basic math error. Like if it's within a small range, like, okay, I'm not going to worry that too much about, but 29% or 42% in this update, what you, at that point, it's hard to believe this is entirely accidental or routine, good faith, you know, honest mistakes that this is, this really looks like a state that realizes, oh, we've got a real problem here. We, we, our policy that we have enacted here, which we thought we were doing the right thing. So we are you know, we wanted to keep uh, space in hospitals. We ended up taking people who still have COVID, putting them into nursing homes, putting them into assisted living facilities, put them in a situation where they could very easily spread it to other people who are vulnerable. Oh, for shrunken, we've just loused things up. We have ex- accidentally ended up killing people. Quick, we got to cover it up. Quick, let's figure, let's minimize, let's make the numbers look as least bad as possible. And then hopefully it won't notice. Now, I don't know if this is necessarily exactly what is going on specifically in Michigan, but I think when you see the Gavin Newsom's, you know, eating in the uh, French laundry, right? The obviously everything we talked about with Cuomo, to certain extent, even Phil Murphy, like the fact that New Jersey, at least last time I checked, had the highest per capita. I think the numbers were what was it like one out of three hundred New Jerseyans passed away from uh, COVID nineteen? It was it was just an ungodly number. And it's interesting; most Americans probably couldn't tell you who Phil Murphy is. They probably oh, it's the guy that hangs out at the bar at the end of the street. They don't, you know, Phil Murphy is not a, a nationally well known figure. I think it is this vicious cycle in which. Democrats believe that they are the good guys and they always have good intentions and that, you know, they're smarter, you know, their policies are just going to work out. And the flip side is obviously Democratic, you know, office holders believe that they are the good guys and that they always mean well, and that their policies are smarter and things are always going to work out. So they very rarely get, you know, so one, they enact these policies, knowing that even if they go wrong, the media is on their side and will understand that this is an honest mistake and never give them too much grief for it. So they're not as careful as they could be or should be. Then the media gets this, and in some cases, they, you know, they're, eventually there were some people in uh, New York State media who really came after uh, Andrew Cuomo. But by and large, the national media was not nearly as interested in this, not nearly as much as they were building up Andrew Cuomo in the first year of this pandemic. A lot of that, I think, we can lay at the feet of Chris Cuomo and CNN. And you end up in a kind of this vicious cycle where Democrats, you know, aren't as afraid of the consequences of a screw up as a Republican is, because a Republican office holder knows if you mess up, the media is going to try to nail you to the wall with this, which, by the way, is probably the way it ought to be. It's probably good for accountability. But once the Democrats, officials and media start to see themselves as being on the same team, we're all working together here. None of us want. Once you get into that, you end up in a situation where you're going to facilitate bad decisions. Because there's not going to be as much fear of pushback. And when a bad decision is made, there's not going to be as much pushback as there would be with a Republican. And of course, we've seen in case after case, when a a Democratic office holder screws up, 
their first instinct just to look for a Republican to blame. There's got to be some way we can say, this is how Flint, Michigan, is apparently the fault of former Governor Snyder. Right. right. It's nothing to do yeah. with the local officials. Nothing to do with, you know, no, 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 it's got to be the Republican governor somewhere. That's the guy we can blame for this. That is the dynamic at work in a lot of these circumstances. And I think that is a bad, it's bad for government accountability. The great irony is the people who get hurt the most by this are the people who live under Democratic governors and other Democratic office holders. So if the media would do its job, yeah, Republicans might, you know, have a short-term benefit. But in the long run, everybody would be better off, including the Democrats, because they'd be more careful and more quick to recognize that if they have, make a terrible mistake, they're going to be held accountable. Yes. Excellent, excellent analysis on that. Uh, a concerning part, though, is uh, that Gretchen Whitmer is politically savvy in a lot of respects, because remember, in the beginning of the pandemic, when she wasn't that close to re-election, you know, she was just about a year in, she was roping off certain aisles of stores. Now, in the last few months, she defied uh, federal recommendations on vaccine mandates and, and masking. So she realizes where the public is is trending on this, and uh, she thinks they're going to forget what she, she did in the early part of the pandemic. Michigan voters, you have the chance to prove her wrong. Don't blow it. All right, let's move on to our crazy martini now, Jim. And we've talked a lot about uh, Russia and Ukraine, talked about it yesterday with uh, Biden, of course, uh, suggesting in his Wednesday press conference that a minor incursion might not result in that big of a rebuke from the international community since, you know, NATO's divided, all stuff that he should be telling us publicly, of course. Uh, But now uh, they're also publicly mulling what to do since Russia seems to be close to invading Ukraine. Bloomberg, along with many others on this story, the U.S. is weighing whether to evacuate family members of diplomats stationed in Ukraine as Russia masses more than 100,000 troops on its borders according to people familiar with the matter. Under the plan, family members would be ordered to return home, while non-essential employees would be able to leave voluntarily. An announcement may come within days, according to the people who asked not to be identified before a decision is reached. And so, Jim, given our complete lack of preparation, or at least lack of quality preparation in getting the right people out of Kabul and the rest of Afghanistan last year. I guess thinking a little bit ahead here isn't the worst idea, regardless of whether we can uh, be confident in deterring Putin. So that sort of thing isn't isn't bad, but it also doesn't show that there's much confidence uh, that they're going to be able to deter Vladimir Putin. Yeah, so I try to be you know appropriately humble about my understanding of foreign policy and national security and issues like this, but there's a little bit that I've picked up over the years that almost just kind of strike as, as common sense. Like, of course, there's always going to be a lot of posturing. There's going to be a lot of saber rattling. What foreign leaders, and particularly what autocratic and authoritarian foreign leaders say is not always going to be the truth. So you can't always take what they're saying at face value. Um, you know, it's, you know, is it possible that all of the, you know, everything Russia has said and done regarding Ukraine in the last six months is really just saber rattling? It's just a feint. It's just meant to try to win over concessions and Vladimir Putin doesn't really want to invade. Sure, it could be the case. But I believe that as of the most recent figure that I could find is that Russia's got 106,000 troops on sites close to the Ukrainian borders. That's a lot. That's not a small, you know, symbolic gesture. That's not if they were actually going to invade, that's probably the amount you want. And oh, by the way, they're in positions where they can actually basically attack from three different sides to eastern Ukraine. So that part certainly looks real, right? We, we can track the movement of those guys through satellites and other intelligence matters. We know that the troops that are moving there, like you can't, you, you can hide certain amounts of equipment, but 106,000 troops you can't hide completely. We know that part is real. And we know that if you know, that part doesn't look fake. 
I think the flip side of this is this the signal we take from this of diplomats' families leaving the, the embassy and leaving uh, Kiev. That tells us that U.S. officials genuinely believe an invasion is coming. They don't, you know, they, they may not know exactly when, they may not know exactly what form it's going to take, but you don't do something like that on a whim. You don't do that out of a symbolic gesture. I don't have a ton of this. I, you know, when I was over in Turkey, uh, you know, I, I was kind of close in with the, the embassy community over there. I would describe the U.S. embassies and foreign capitals as uh, kind of like being a small town within a large city. Everybody knows each other. Uh, everybody generally tries to be on good terms. Uh, you, you know, if nothing else, you have this shared experience and bond of being an American and you're living in a host country and there's some parts of living in a host country you love, some parts you probably, you know, get on your nerves. You probably miss good old fashioned American food and some of the things you just can't get uh, when you're overseas. Uh, I know, yes, you know, my other sense of that is, every, yes, everybody is in everybody else's business. There's that aspect of a small town too. But, you know, if you're a U.S. diplomat, military attache, something like that, and you're sending your family home, you don't send the, the wife and kids or the husband and kids home uh, to the United States if you think there's no threat or if you think this is just a feint. So, in other words, the message from this is the U.S. thinks this is very, very real. I hope it doesn't shake out this way. I hope we're not talking about this. We, we you know, said this kind of, you know, grim humor when we were talking to Joe Lieberman that we hope that there was no invasion before we managed to get the, the podcast up on the air. But certainly... Everything we've seen in the last 24 to 48 hours, Greg, points to, yes, this is real. This is not just saber rattling because uh, Vladimir Putin wants to get some concessions and get, then go home. Sobering Happy Friday, news. everybody. Yeah, sobering news heading into the weekend for sure. But uh, as we've seen from some of these uh, intelligence tip-offs, mid-January to mid-February is, is where they think this uh, is going to happen, if it's going to happen. So we're in that zone now. So. Hoping for all the best there. But uh, Jim, have a great weekend anyway, and uh, we'll reconvene on Monday. See you then. See you Monday, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks very much for being with us today. Uh, do subscribe to our podcast if you don't already, and please tell your friends about us as well. Uh, we are also very grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. Uh, you can get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. Follow us both on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great weekend, and please join us again on Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch. If you give power to the federal government, you never get it back. I'm Sarah Carter on the latest Sarah Carter Show. Arizona Attorney General Mark Burnovich joins me to discuss his battles with the Biden administration over COVID funding and his fight to keep Washington from taking away the constitutional power of the state. I'll also address Biden's disastrous press conference and much more. Follow The Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.